0: okay good morning one and all if you don't know me my name is adrian and i hope you're having a good summer yes. ah you see a little bit of participation yes you are which is very good um, as rich said at the very beginning maybe you heard it maybe you didn't we are starting a new series today uh, that will see us through the summer through to the end of september uh, where we'll kind of stop off for a different sort of moment as we get to celebrate the 150 years of this building And how we get to be part of the future. Uh, But we'll get to there in a couple of months' time. But in this moment, we just felt like following on where we've been. We would do this series, Place for Purpose, which I'll talk about in a moment. But just to remind us, where we've been up until two Sundays ago was in a series that we'd entitled P.A.C.E. Where we said, actually, to pursue Jesus means that we need to live understanding there are things that we can build into our lives. Tools that we can use that enable us, that encourage us, that stimulate us in our pursuit of who Jesus is and living lives that reveal who he is and honor who he is. As we look to what it looks like to live a life of pace with building in prayer and Bible study and fasting and solitude and simplicity and many other things I'm not going to go through at this moment, but we encourage you, do keep looking at that series because that wasn't so that we think, all right, we've done that, let's move on. No, it's in order that we build these habits into our lives because they will do us good. But from that place of understanding that we are to live lives of pace, oh, something coming through the speakers, that as we live lives of pace, we then wanted us to understand that we then are grounded into the unique environments that we're in for a reason, that we are placed, each and every one of us, into the situations we're facing for a purpose. And therefore, it is with deep encouragement that I want us to look through this series, and we're going to be looking at it, seeing an example through the life of Daniel. Daniel. As what we're going to see is through the life of Daniel, a character in the Old Testament who we're going to get to know quite a bit this morning, um, is that he provides us encouragement and a model of what it just looks like to live in the world, understanding that whatever else is going on, however good or bad your life is feeling, that you are placed in it with a purpose. A purpose that we'll continuously see is one of seeking to honor God and to reveal God. But we're also going to see that why we're looking at Daniel in particular, I think at the moment, increasingly, Daniel is being seen as one who gives us such deep encouragement in the West particularly, is because we're realizing more and more is that the world that Daniel is living in is not that dissimilar to the world that we're living in. That we now live in a culture that is classed as post-Christian, and it did used to live with a sense of, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is how it kind of means to then model society around. But we don't live in that anymore. And if we're living in a culture that's different to the one maybe that we're seeking to live out of the one that we now know through centering our lives on Jesus. And that word that's used to describe that is a word called exile. And what we find is that Daniel is in exile. He was part of the people of God, Israel, the Jews, in the Old Testament, and as part of their call was to live in a land to be a blessing to all nations, revealing what it was to honor God and to reveal God, and yet they continuously fell short. They fell short of who God is, continuously looking for shortcuts or looking to go after things that seem more satisfying than who God is and what the calling that God had gave them was. And so the moment we're going to get to look at Daniel is we're going to find that God has handed over his people to the superpower of the day, the Babylonians, that are, are ruled by a king called Nebuchadnezzar. And in handing them over, groups of them, including this young guy called Daniel, are then taken into exile. That's the word that's used. Are taken from where their home is into a nation that isn't theirs, into a world that's very different to the one that they were seeking to live in, seeking to reveal what it means to God, to honor God and to reveal God. But the thing is that Daniel's story of exile actually pushes to a much bigger story of exile. A story of exile that actually you find is the very beginning of the Bible and doesn't end to the very end of the Bible. And therefore, when we get to look at this book of Daniel, actually it's one that resonates within each of us regardless of how we're feeling about the culture we're living in because his story is our story as humanity. And for us to understand that, I'm going to briefly show us A short video. It's kind of four and a half minutes. It's by a fantastic group of people called The Bible Project, which if you've not come across them, I'm going to do a quick plug, get watching their stuff online, but get listening, more importantly, to their podcasts. And what they seek to do is take themes uh, and theology within the Bible and seek to say, hey, what can we do to grapple through this in order that we can communicate in a way that people can get hold of what was being meant by the original speakers and hearers and how that influences our life today. And so I'd really encourage you to do it, but at this moment, I'm gonna pause speaking. We're gonna watch how all of us are now part of Exile. So his video.
1: There's something about being home, where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety.
2: And while some people get to experience this kind of home, Many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land. We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. You're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves. Conquered by Babylon, living in exile far from their homeland. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here? And is there any hope of going home? And the whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden. Ah, they're sent into exile. Exactly. And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story. How they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God.
1: Uh, They didn't. And they were sent
2: into exile. And if you still don't see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh yeah, Babylon. The same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the promised land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon. Now eventually, they do get to leave and travel back to their promised homeland. And when they did, It wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over.
1: How could they think they were still in exile when they're at home?
2: Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. Yeah, I I can relate
1: to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, tragedy, done by others, but also done by me.
2: And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter where you live, we are all longing for a better home. Now Israel's scriptures held out
1: hope that one day God would send a king who would rescue the world from all of the Babylon's we've created.
2: And after many generations pass, we meet this Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth. He wandered about with no home, announcing the great restoration, that reality of home that Israel and all humanity has been looking for.
1: Yeah, Jesus really cared about people who didn't have homes. He welcomed in the stranger. He said God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and throw parties for people who don't have a place to belong.
2: Jesus also claimed that Israel and all humanity had lost its way. That our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and power and these inevitably exclude others. We live in an exile of our own making. But Jesus said the true way home is one of weakness, of service, and of forgiveness. And then Jesus went into exile alongside us to show us the true way home. Which is? Well, Jesus said he is the way. His life and self-giving love proved more powerful than humanity's failure. He opened up a pathway to our real home. And as Jesus' followers committed themselves to him, they discovered this new way of being human. They believed that the real return from exile had begun. And so they would call themselves sojourners or wanderers. Oh, right. They would say things like, the world isn't our home and we're citizens of heaven. And so Jesus' followers remain exiles as they wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true
0: Hold the Bible there, four and a half minutes. Um, All of us in this room, whether we're those that are following Jesus or not, are therefore in this moment of living outside of what truly is meant to be our home. And it's therefore the question, how then do we live in this place? If we're followers of Jesus particularly, what does it look like to follow Jesus knowing that we know that there is a home to come, but we're not there yet? Is it that literally we're to hide away and just gather occasionally in rooms like this and say, hey, it's going to be good one day, it's going to be good one day. No, no, we get to look at the life of Daniel and realize, no, there's a way that we're to live when we're living in a place that's not yet fully home. And what we find for Daniel is he lived in a way that came through a letter of encouragement from the Old Testament scriptures, from Jeremiah, who writes to the people in exile and and says this, have to step down he says jeremiah 29 7 it wouldn't have said that at that point it was just a letter but in the letter it says this god says seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which i have carried you into exile seek the wholeness and the prospering of babylon pray to the lord for it because if it prospers so will you Jeremiah writes, Daniel hears, and then says, okay, this is what it looks like to live. It isn't that we live in isolation, but rather that we live integrated. Integrated, revealing God, integrated, honoring God. And knowing as we live that, we're going to cause others to benefit. Even Babylon, the kingdom that's like overthrown us. And in the same way, as we look at Daniel, and we're going to see how he seeks to live this out, we too are going to do that. Now you think, hey, but but did Jesus say that? Yeah, Jesus put it in different words. He said, oh, you're meant to live on the earth as salt and light. It isn't you're meant to be salt and light whenever you gather together and the rest of the time no one ever noticed. No, no, you are embedded into the earth now to be the flavor and color giving of God into the world. Because you are uniquely placed. And what we're going to discover through this story of Daniel is Daniel is one who continuously lives with pace, lives with all the attributes we looked at in our last series. And as he lives with pace in a culture that actually says he shouldn't live like that, he realizes that he is being placed there for a purpose. And my hope is that for every single one of us, whether life isn't quite going as we thought it would, whether we think, oh man, I'm just getting promotion after promotion, that we realize that God is involved in the background, orchestrating it for us in order that we'd know in that place, God has a purpose because he's uniquely placed you and me to be the salt and light, to be those who seek the wholeness and prospering of not us, but for those around us in order that they can taste and see that God is good. Therefore, in this moment, I'm going to dare to do something. And that is, zoom out. Because at this moment, there could be a danger we zoom in on the story. But the problem is, if we do that, we don't kind of see the whole of what's going on. And therefore, I want in this moment, tell the whole story of Daniel. So get ready, sit comfortable, because we're going to be here for about four or five hours. Um, <laughs> we're going to get through this. And in over the next kind of 20 minutes... We're gonna look at the whole of Daniel. We're not gonna look at just Daniel chapters one to six. We're gonna look at the whole of the Daniel. Now, for some of you who've read your Bibles, lots you are thinking, man, are you gonna interpret all the dreams? No, no, I'm not gonna do that. Because to be honest, there's many people who are still trying to work out what some of the dreams that Daniel saw were about. I will reference them, but we're gonna see actually they take part of a bigger story of what I want us to get hold of because as we look at the life of Daniel, I promise you it will start to do you good. And as we look at this story, let's not do it as a kind of like, oh, well, interesting. But rather, you look at it because it's there in order that we say, hey, where do I see myself in this story? What's God saying to me through this story? And for different ones of us, there'll be different parts of the story that strike us. We start here. In the training school. See, Daniel and some friends were taken into captivity, were taken into exile by the Babylonian kingdom. And King Nebuchadnezzar had this way of defeating and conquering his enemy. See, what he did is he didn't just go and set up an outpost. No, he said, actually, what we're doing is building a superculture. And to build a superculture, you need to understand, we have many, many benefits. But we're also gonna benefit from who you are that we've just conquered. And therefore, he would go through and ransack the kind of key power bases of the culture he just conquered. And for the Israelites, it was Jerusalem, the capital city, and the temple. And so he ransacked the temple of all its kind of artifacts, or the ones that he thought looked good, and took them back to his city of Babylon. But he also made an order and said, actually, also bring with you, with the artifacts, all of those who are of nobility, wealth, and royalty, who are intelligent and handsome, Bring them with you. And so what we find is that Daniel is one of them. So what would you find out about Daniel? First off, he's handsome. <whistles> he is wealthy. Oof. And he's intelligent. But also we find out he's a teenager. We're going to discover that because of the length of this book, because we can think and say, well it's only 12 chapters, and it seems to speed through. We're going to see that this covers quite a period of time. So at this point, he was a teenager. If you're a teenager here, I'm going to ask you to do something very, very cringeworthy. Because as a teenager, you don't want to do this. Just put your hand up, just for a moment, as a teenager. Lawrence, you're not a teenager. Teenagers don't like it. I know who you are. Just put your hand up. Tensively, just got that. There you go. Mike isn't a teenager. There you go. We've got a few teenagers in here. You are the example of Daniel's life at this point. Not the old people around you. They think they are. They're not. They would have been passed over if this had been the kingdom day. Because Nebuchadnezzar would have thought, there has been. I don't want them. I want the fresh talent. So Daniel, we find, is led in, and he's taken to this training school in the center of Babylon. He's going to do three years of training. And the first rule of uh, Babylon School Club is that you never talk about Babylon Club. (laughs) But within it, he then is given, with his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he's given a whole new education on the magic arts, astrology, things that we think, oh man, he shouldn't learn that. But that's what he's embedded in. He's then given new clothes. He's also given a new name. And so Daniel is called Balthazar, Hananiah's friend is called Sadrach, Mishael is called Meshach, and Azariah is called Abednego. And so they're given these new names. And then the kind of court chief. The guy who's in charge of the training school comes to them and says, not only do you get new clothes and new education and new names, you also get to eat from the king's table and drink from the king's table. At this point, Daniel steps up and says, look, fine about the names, fine about the education, even fine about the clothes, though I'm not sure. But we do not want to eat from his table. Suddenly we get this young guy he says, I'm willing to be integrated into your society, but there's some moments you need to understand I'm not going to compromise. This is the people who understood that there were some things they weren't going to eat because it's there that they got to show that they were different. They were serving God, not man. So Daniel says, I'm not going to eat of your food. and Rather, what I want you to do is just give us water and vegetables. Woof, that's a nice diet. Huh? Water, vegetables, and maybe some Fruit. The court official says, there is no way that's going to happen because if you start to suffer, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. Daniel says, I tell you what, let's just do a social experiment. Ten days of this, and if we look better, we can continue. If we don't, we'll eat from the king's table. Ten days later, they're brought in, and they are discovered to be more healthy than any of the other peers on the training course. So they're left to then go and eat vegetables, fruit, fruit, and water to bring out the Daniel diet that has forever been championed by weird Christians everywhere. (laughs) And in it, we then find at the end of their three years of training, they're brought before the king, and these four individuals are found to be 10 times better in every way than anyone else who's been through the training school. And as such, they're therefore promoted and given areas of responsibility by the king of Babylon over his kingdom. But then there's like this little drop of knowledge. And it's that we're told God gave them understanding beyond what could have been expected. And then also for Daniel... He gave this amazing ability to interpret dreams and visions, which brings us over here to a bed. Because at the bed, what we discover is the King Nebuchadnezzar, who suddenly we get to see him in all his fullness. Because King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it so troubles him that he cannot sleep anymore. So he calls all of his advisors in. His advisors are magicians, kind of astrologers, and uh, other weird people. And they come in, and he says to them, look, you've got to interpret my dream. And so they say, oh, king, of course we will interpret your dream. Just simply tell us it. The king says, no, you're not hearing me. You need to interpret my dream. And they say, no one can do this. You must tell us your dream. The king says, that's it. I've had enough of you. If you cannot interpret a dream by actually understanding the dream before I've told you, you are dead to me, literally. And so he gives an order to his guard and says, right, go and kill everyone who's an advisor to me. The chief guard goes out and starts to gather everyone in for a mass killing. Knocks on the door of Daniel and his friends and says, Hey, guys, come with me. You're going to get killed. Daniel thinks, Hey, this doesn't sound good. He says, Please, can I go to the king? goes to the king and says, Look, king, I understand the dilemma. I understand the dream, and I know you want interpretation. But this is the first I've heard about. So would you give me 24 hours? I'm like Keith the Sutherland, like Jack Bauer. Just give us 24 hours and I can sort this. But it isn't me. It's going to be the God of heaven, the God I serve. He will show you. So the king says, well, I've got nothing to lose. You've got 24 hours. So Daniel gets back to all of his friends. They're camped out in a room. And he says, look, we've got to give ourselves. Let's pray. And God will reveal the dream and its interpretation. So that night, Daniel wakes from his sleep somehow. had been praying and fallen asleep. When does that ever happen? And so he's there and he has the dream. And in it, he sees the dream and has the interpretation. So he rushes back to the palace. Hey, king, I know the dream. The dream is of a statue, a statue made of lots of different material. The top part, the head, is gold. And that represents you, king. That represents you, king, and your kingdom. But from that moment, there's then these other materials that are made that become weaker and more permeated with one another. In order that these are going to show there's going to be other kingdoms to come. But they will crumble away and the statue will not last because actually there's this other rock that's being formed, not by a man's hands, but by the God of heaven's hands, and that's gonna form a kingdom that's gonna last forever. That's the dream and that's the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar hears it and says, Wow, you really know your stuff. You now are my special advisor. Daniel says, Hey, don't just do this for me. Remember, Not just me prosper, everyone. You've got to promote my friends, and actually, please don't kill anyone. Now at this point, we're gonna just pause from Daniel's life. You see, there's this other story which we love to tell, which has nothing to do with Daniel, but has something to do with Nebuchadnezzar. See, remember Nebuchadnezzar's sleep sees the statue. The top part is gold. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do out of hearing about these kingdoms that have come and are going to disintegrate and become less and less pure and going to get weaker and weaker, but there's this other kingdom that's going to come made by God that's going to reign forever? Well, the one thing you possibly do, isn't it? He builds a gold statue. He builds a massive gold statue. We're not told what it was of. I kind of wonder, given that he'd had a dream of a statue, the gold head represented him, he then builds a statue of gold. I wonder whether it was of himself. And then he does the most outrageous thing. He says, now everyone is to worship the statue. And if you don't, then you're going to get chucked in a fiery furnace. Now, again, we get to see something of the kind of king he was. Yeah, he wanted to assimilate. Yes, he kind of, come with me. I'll give you a new name. Give you some food. But I'll tell you what. You cross me, kill you. And my killing can happen in many different ways, as we're going to see. This one, fiery furnace, Turned up high. Anyway, three of Daniel's friends, they've been separated now. Daniel is somewhere else in the kingdom. These three friends are near. They get seen as not worshipping the gold statue. So Nebuchadnezzar kind of hears about this and says, that's it. Into the fiery furnace. You have no hope. They say, totally fine by us. Because our God can rescue us if he wants to. Not he will rescue us, if he wants to. And then we find them, and they say, King Nebuchadnezzar is so outraged, he says, turn it up higher, higher, higher. And so they're saying that as they're taken in, you have this gruesome image of the guards taking them into the furnace, and as they're throwing them in, the guards are consumed by the heat of the furnace. Then, the weirdest thing happens. The three guys in the furnace start a bit of a dance party with a fourth person, who's described like someone who's the son of man. Now we get to hear that because we know the whole of the story. The Son of Man, that's Jesus. And he's there with them, sustaining, strengthening them. So much so that Nebuchadnezzar sees this and thinks, I've had enough of this. Oi, get out of the furnace. And then we're told they come out of the furnace smoke-free. They don't even smell of smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar says, man, there is something about the God that you serve. There is something about the God that you serve, which brings us to the palace. See, what we find is that King then has another dream. And in this dream, he has a dream of a tree, a very fruitful tree. And that tree, it provides shade to all the beasts of the land. But then he hears this crazy thing. He has a voice from heaven call out, cut the tree down, cap its base. And then it says, the voice from heaven and he will go and live with the beasts. The king is racked with fear. And he's powerful. He's the guy with the gold statue. At this point, he's thinking, what is going on? So he calls everyone. He calls all of his advisors again and says, hey, this is the dream. He's learned this time. You don't waste time saying, do you know the dream? He says, no, this is the dream. None of them can interpret it. And suddenly, at the back of his mind, he thinks, there's that, that guy that guy that guy I gave loads of authority to he was good with the dreams daniel get daniel daniel comes he explains the dream to daniel and we're told for the first and only time daniel was afraid daniel was afraid he knew what the dream meant and he was afraid to say it why was he afraid because he knew what kind of king this was And you know what it meant for him to tell him what the dream was about. So even though he was afraid, he still spoke. He said, Well, the dream is this the tree is you and your kingdom. But you have become very, very arrogant. And you think it's all down to you, but it isn't. God has positioned you with what you have. And therefore, because you will not honor him, he will humble you. And you will be cut down like a tree, but you will not be destroyed you'll be capped and you can restore but you will go and live with beasts it will be as though you've lost your mind and you'll eat with animals but if you humble yourself you can find a way back the king doesn't kill Daniel he just listens and goes all right fair enough 12 months later everything happens The king finds himself taken from his kingdom, losing his mind, living amongst animals until the point he gets to of joining all the dots of the Daniel who interpreted the dream at the bed, pointing to the king and the kingdom and the God of it that would last forever, of the guys in the furnace and the God they served that rescued them, of the statue and what that spoke of. And then in that moment, Realizing that everything had happened about the tree had come true, he falls to his knees and humbles himself. He says, God, you alone are in charge of everything, and I am nothing compared to you. And in that moment of humility, we're then told that Nebuchadnezzar is put back on his throne. Now, the thing is, it doesn't end there. You see, Daniel continues to live in exile. And you see, from this king, we then get to the next one. And the next king is a guy called Balthazar. Balthazar liked to party. He kind of understood, like, all the authority and power his dad had. And he wanted all of that, but basically by doing nothing. All he wanted to do was, like, enjoy himself with all his friends. And so he threw party after party. He would live continuously banqueting. And we get to one banquet that he's having. And in that banquet... He basically is called everyone in apart from his wife, the queen. Says everything about the guy and says everything about the parties he had. His wife and queen weren't invited. So she's left wandering the palace. He's there partying. It gets to a point where the the kind of party's starting to die. And at that point, Balstar thinks, I've got to, I've got to do something something. So Belshazzar says, hey, go and get the artifacts my father got from the temple in Jerusalem and let's party with them. And so they do, and so they come and bring out the goblets from the temple. And they start to fill them with wine and start to drink and think, man, now we're partying. This is where it's at. We're partying with the temple artifacts. And they just didn't know where parties were at that day. But they're there. As they're partying, drinking from the artifacts of the temple, suddenly a hand appears out of nowhere and starts to write on the wall. And what we see is that it right writes on the wall is mene mene Tekel peres. The king, as he sees this hand out of nowhere, right on the wall, is just goes pale, is full of fear. The party goes on a bit of a downer at this point as people start to scream and shout. The king calls all of his advisers in and says, "I will give the person who can interpret what's been written on the wall and tell me what this is all about, a purple robe and a robe and a gold necklace." Now we can look at that and think, Man, I'd have expected a bit more. Now this was about authority and wealth. He says, "I will give you massive authority and massive wealth if you can interpret this." One after the other, they come and they cannot interpret. The king and all of his guests are losing the plot. Now they're getting really scared. At this point, the queen casually is walking past, thinking, I wonder how the party I wasn't invited to is going, oh, there's a lot of screaming in there. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and walks in and says, what's all the commotion? And they say, oh, this happened, but no one can interpret. And then she says this, king, if there's something strange in the neighborhood, who are you gonna call? Call Daniel. And so that's what he does. He calls Daniel and Daniel comes in and he says, there's some things you just get away with. (laughs) He comes in and he interprets He says, hey, mene mene means your days are numbered. Tekel, king, you've been weighed and you've been found wanting. You're arrogant and proud and you're worthless. And therefore, Perez, a new kingdom is coming. Your kingdom will end, and so will you with it. And there's this moment of like proper party bomb, not in a good way. That it's going to go up from this point, it's like proper down. And the king says, "Wow, you've interpreted it. Have the robe, have the gold." And Daniel says, "I want nothing to do with you, because this is about God and not about you." But the guy says, "But if you have the robe, have the gold." So Daniel kind of takes it, just thinking, I don't want anything to do with it. And then we're just simply told this. Twelve months later, the king dies. No, sorry. That night, the king dies. And Daniel stays in exile. See, at that moment, and in this moment, we then find, just to quickly put an aside, we have these other weird dreams that Daniel has towards the end of his life. And we can think, oh, this was at that end. It was after this king. It was actually during this king's reign that Daniel had some of the dreams that are there to be interpreted, that point to like, what it will look like as God wraps up whole of the world, bringing to the end of kingdoms that destroy to bring his kingdom that brings life. And he brought it at this moment with this king, to bring hope to Daniel. That even in a place of chaos, hope can come. But then there comes another king. This king is a king called Darius. And he's a different kingdom. And Darius comes and he like, loves Daniel. He can't get enough of Daniel. He actually says, you know what? Daniel, in terms of me restructuring my kingdom, I want him to be over everything. When the other advisors hear this, they're like, no way. We want some power. And so they try every way possible to get some mud on Daniel, but they can't find anything. And so in there they say, well, the only way we could do something, get a sticky point, trap him, is about his God. So they go to the king and they say, hey, king, you're very cool. Why don't you get everyone to pray to you for 30 days? And anyone who doesn't pray to you should be thrown to lions. And the king says, hey, that sounds pretty cool. Let's do that. Daniel then hears of this and thinks, I don't want to do that. And so he goes up to his upper room and in the upper room he then gives himself to praying three times a day but he opens the window because he knows where he wants to pray and continues to remind himself of the home that he's come from but it means that everyone can see what he's doing and in seeing what he's doing the guys who are against him then go and tell the king as the king is troubled because he loves daniel but he calls Daniel down, and so Daniel comes down from his upper room. It's the only time I've ever going to use that, just so it be clear. Um, it's a prop and nothing more. Um, this, so he goes, and he's before the king, and the king says, is this true, Daniel? And Daniel says, yeah, because I serve God and God alone. And Darius knows that he has to follow through with his judgment. and says, I, I, I long and hope, that your God will keep rescuing you as you face the lions. And so he puts Daniel in the lion's den and seals it with his royal signet so it's covered over. No one can get in, no one can get out. And then we're told that the king goes back and cannot sleep that night, doesn't eat at all, worrying about Daniel. All of Daniel's enemies are kind of gleefully thinking, he's over, he's over. Daniel, by the way, he's just sleeping. He's like invented dead lions. He's there, asleep, with the lions, who are all sleeping. So the next morning, the king, in a kind of total state of not sleeping, not eating, comes and is calling out, Daniel, it's time to wake up. Are you there? No answer, because Daniel's asleep. Daniel, are you awake? A voice, good sleep, I'm here. The king can't believe it. Get him out. Your God has rescued you. Everyone should honor your God. And actually, you come and you're going to rule over my empire for me, my kingdom for me. And the other guys, your enemies, oh, they're lion food. And they're gone. We then get to the last two parts of the story. See, in this reign of Darius, Daniel seeks to do his best to cause that kingdom to prosper, to know wholeness. And yet within him is still this rhythm, this pace that he's lived with day by day of praying. Praying every day, but also reading scripture. And a piece of scripture, a piece of encouragement that came from Jeremiah just keeps coming back to him as he reads it. And it's this in Jeremiah 29.10, which says this, this is what the Lord says, "'When 70 years are completed for Babylon, "'I will come to you and fulfill my good promise "'to bring you back to this place. "'For I know the plans I have for you,' declares the Lord." Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And one of the most misquoted verses, but we're not going to get into that. This this moment is that Daniel reads this scripture. He just realizes, man, I have been here for too long. Remember the teenager? We're not told how old he is now, but he's been there for 70 years. And in that 70th year, he's there saying, God, you said, you said. And in this moment, it drives him to prayer. It drives him to prayer to say, God, you're in charge and you're good. And we failed you. Isn't I failed? We failed you as a people. Would you therefore have mercy on us and remember your promise? And the most amazing thing happens is that God doesn't take him out of exile. Rather, God comes and comforts him, actually sends his number one messenger, Gabriel, to him. And Gabriel turns up and says this most remarkable thing. He just says this, Daniel, when you spoke, heaven was silenced. And a word came forth for you because you are highly esteemed. Wow. This young guy, is aged away from home, lived in exile. Yet when he prayed, heaven silenced. The father turns and says, you are esteemed. As an aside, that's not only for Daniel, that's for anyone and everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. That when we pray, heaven silenced. The father's ear is attentive to us because he says, now through Jesus, you're the one I esteem. Daniel hears it. And the angel says, hey, kingdoms are going to come. Kingdoms are going to go. This is my interpretation of the dream. But Jesus' kingdom will last forever. The Lord's kingdom will last forever. Hang in there. That's what he does. Still in exile. Still living with the promise. Still knowing that it's not yet fulfilled. And Darius dies. And we get to here to the exit. And here we meet a nasty king that Daniel, we're told, is around. And that's... A king called Cyrus, He's from the Persian kingdom. The fulfillment of the statue. And what we think is at this point, we'd close the book off, we'd round it off, tie it up and say, hey, that's Daniel done. That's not what happens. Here what we find in the end is Daniel's life is given comfort of what will be at the very end of times. But in this moment, he's just simply told... Continue to live as you have lived. Continue to live in exile. Continue to live with God at the heart of you as you live in exile. Don't worry. But know you will rest. You will die. As you live like that, as you live with pace, you'll get to a point where you will die. But know this. There will come a day when you will be fully brought home and you will gain an inheritance in the land that will last forever. And the story stops there. Not with us knowing how did Daniel finish, but it's knowing that Daniel was part of a much bigger story that every single one of us are now part of, of knowing that we have access to home through Jesus, but we're not fully there yet. And so like Daniel, we get to rest knowing we live in this life continuously with pace, living to pray and read scripture and fast after what's going on, living to seek the good of God and to worship in everything we do and to reveal his goodness in everything we do. And as we do, knowing that what we're building to is that one day this home will come and fill this earth and we'll be part of it because God knows you and knows me and esteems us. And therein is the story of Daniel in 25, not 20 minutes. I leave you with these questions. There's a lot. That's because there's a lot of story. Over this coming week, why don't we consider where do you see yourself in the story? How are you seeking to work for the good of those around you, regardless of what you're facing at the moment? How are you living with pace? How are you keeping in mind your final home? And how are you doing in honoring and revealing God? I encourage you, Get into the book of Daniel. Get reading the story because it will do you good. And next week, we'll start to zoom in on chapter one and see how his life provides a pattern for our lives. Otherwise, we're done. Thank you very, very much.